Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today. With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien. Today, this moment, this time is ours to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. We're going to be exploring a central practice on the path of yoga today, and that is the practice of meditation, uh, a way of touching in on the stillness and a way of discovering really our true self, beyond all the chatter, beyond all the distraction, this ability to consciously abide in that which we are. But we have lots of questions when we come to meditation, and so we hope to address many of those today. How do we cultivate a calm, peaceful, and spiritually awake life, not just get good at meditation? How do we access wisdom that is within us and carry it out into our lives every day? Our guest today Today is Reverend Edward Fulyun, who has been the uh, Senior Minister at Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, California since 1995. He's written several books, and the one we're focusing on today is a beautiful, beautiful, inspiring book called The Power of Meditation, an Ancient Technique to Access Your Inner Power. And you can find out more about his uh, books and teaching schedule at the website for Center for Spiritual Living, and that is CSL, Center for Spiritual Living, SRCSLSR.org. Welcome, Reverend uh, Fulyun. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm so delighted we get to talk about meditation. Thank you. I'm excited, too. I really appreciate being invited. So I think it's only appropriate that before we begin talking about meditation, we just take a moment to meditate. I often say at meditation classes, if we have a class and we only talk about meditation, we don't actually meditate. It's like, you know, showing a bunch of hungry people the menu and then never bringing out the food. So 
Correct. Let's just begin with a, a short moment of centering. How precious this very moment is. A moment to be awake, to be aware, to touch the stillness that is within us. Let's just stop for a moment and become aware of our breathing. And with inhalation, simply feel that you are bringing your attention within. And with exhalation, it's relaxing, letting go. Without trying to change your breath or stop your mind, just be in this moment observing the breath and feeling with each breath that you're letting go and allowing your conscious awareness to simply expand in this moment, being present, awake, and aware. How beautiful is this moment? How precious is this Time, this day, this life. Just for this moment as we touch the peace within us, let's intend to bring that peace forth into our interactions, into every, every meeting that we have with every person, every being. As Paramahansa Yogananda said, let us carry our portable peace with us. As we bring our attention back to our environment, let's bring it back with that peace. Edward, I I want to begin by saying how much I am enjoying your book, The Power of Meditation. It's it's really one of those, it's a beautiful book to begin with. You know, the paper and the cover, and it's very meditative. And um, it's one of those books to savor, I think. So, you know, I I really want to recommend it. I want to say I'm enjoying it. And I want to, you know, as a long-time meditator, one of my criteria for books on meditation is whether or not they inspire me to want to meditate more uh, or to want to enhance my practice. And uh, your your book really does that for me. And, you know, my other criteria is... Um, you know, whether that, well, I have lots of criteria, I guess I do, but, but one of them I want to say is, 
you know, whether or not the author has a quality of spaciousness about how people approach their practice. So I just want to say I found that there, you know, I found uh, inspiration to practice that is, you know, coming from the well spring of your own practice that you're offering, but also this quality of spaciousness um, that is helping readers get in touch with their own shakti, with their own vitality, with their mm. own energy that makes meditation so compelling and so interesting. So your love for the practice is evident and your um, spirit of um in honoring uh, the divine and every person who is approaching it is really palpable. So, um, what inspired you to write the book? Well, well, thank you for that. I, I feel like you've really captured my intention so well. I, I feel wonderful that you feel that way about the book. And the inspiration for the book was, well, it was a surprise. Uh, the publisher and the, and the editor, Joel Fotinus from Tarcha Peregrine, I, I met him at a conference, and he asked if he could have a chat with me. In the back of my mind, I imagined he was going to ask me for some advice on something. But instead, he surprised me by offering me a book contract, and mm. he said, would like you to write a book about meditation. And mm. I was confused, because I was the person who struggled with meditation. <laughs> I was the person who <laughs> wondered if I would ever be able to sit still, or if I could stop my racing thoughts, or if I could visualize a single thing. I was that person. I wasn't the writer of a book about meditation. And what came out of my mouth was, why me? And, mm-hmm. and then it was his turn to be surprised, and he said, that's what you're known for. And I really had to think about that for a moment. And I think what he was referring to is the long journey I had had. I'd been learning about meditation and teaching what I'd learned to others. And because I had struggled so much in the beginning, I, I had empathy for those people who were struggling. And I think that's how I developed a reputation for a gentle and accessible approach. Mm. So when I when I sat down to map out the contents of the book, I realized, oh, I do have something to say about that journey because I've been helping people navigate um, around the very obstacles that I had encountered myself. Mm-hmm. And I found some um, very familiar... Um byways, alleyways, you know, in, in your book. And, and and I guess really, you know, I don't even know if it's fair to call them alleyways. And I think that's what happens. You know, we have certain expectations about meditation. You know, we, and, and in our tradition, of course, many students read Autobiography of a Yogi, which is both, you know, an inspiration and, um, uh, a pathway of devastation, you know, if you think yes. that your meditation is going to be, you know, the experiences of Paramahansa Yogananda. And, uh, and of course, the, that, that can come into it. But, you know, I found, you know, when I first started to meditate, uh, it was similar to your experiences. Um, but, you know, I remember just sitting down and, uh, it was like I was in a crowded room, you know, with everybody having this conversation. <laughs> and I had no prior um, sense that that was going on in my head all the time. <laughs> so it was really a shock to me. And uh, and it was a difficult beginning. And then I read um, Suzuki Roshi's Zen Mind, Beginner's wow. Mind. You know, and isn't he has a gentle spirit, doesn't he? And he said, just yeah. sit. 
just sit. Right. And your book has that very gentle advice, you know, coming out of your own experience of developing a practice like that where you just sat. Um, (laughs) So could you tell us a little bit about that, like just developing this discipline of just sitting? Yes. uh, You know, you mentioned you had no idea of what was waiting for you in the silence. And I think that that's the surprise for most people. And it's a, a they resist sitting because they don't know what to do with what they find or they are so accustomed to a busy mind or a busy schedule that the idea of sitting can feel irresponsible, like a a waste of time or there's no structure to the sitting. And so all of these things come up. And for me in the beginning to teach people, I have to cover that, get over that resistance. And so what I do is I invite them with very little instruction, just like you said, just to sit, not to attain anything or achieve anything, but to make that appointment to sit in the beginning. That's the most important part of establishing a practice, the routine. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, and um, I often quote, you know, one uh, sage, you know, who was asked, you know, well, what is the right practice, of course, because there's so many. And he replied, uh, right practice is steady practice. Right. <laughs> and so, exactly. That- <laughs> that, that's exactly what the word practice means, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You exactly. do it repeatedly until mm-hmm. you get better at something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I liken it to working out at the gym. If I do it regularly, I achieve wonderful results. But if I go now and then, whenever the feeling comes to me, then my results match my practice. Mm. And so there's no mystery to it. It's just <laughs> the, the power of regular practice is different to the power of sporadic practice. It's just the way of things. That's totally true. And uh, one of the things, I, of course, I also appreciated about your book was even though you make a lot of space for how people can approach this steady practice in order to... Mm, you, you know, let it be uh, something that has some joy in it. That's how I see it, you know, um, yes. so that you're not suffering. <laughs> the idea is not to make yourself <laughs> sit down and suffer every day. You know, we, we can suffer without meditating. So, um, so you know, how you find joy in it. But, you know, you, you begin your book by letting people know that your your perspective about why meditate is a spiritual one. And, of course, um, you're connected to the tradition of uh, religious science with um, the mystic founder, uh, Dr. Ernest Holmes. And he said, we have a power within us, a power that is greater than anything we shall ever contact in the outer, a power that can overcome every obstacle in our life and set us safe, satisfied, and at peace, healed and prosperous in a new light and in a new life. And really, that's the promise of meditation, don't you think? Oh, yes. And the practice of meditation is is precisely what helped me become more aware of that self, that power within me, and how I'm connected to everything through it. And so before meditation, uh, I think my mind was just filled with the normal chatter of everyday living, And that was characterized with no pauses, no moments of quiet 
to observe anything. So I had little awareness of this new light that he, he mentions about. Um, so I had to slow down to make room for that. And I think that that's what meditation has changed in me. It's given me, well, it's introduced space in the form of quiet time in my life. And mm-hmm. out of that space, I've started to develop this awareness that we are so much more than what we appear to be. Yeah, I I I experienced that too and in a sense kind of um palpably in a in a felt way that um meditation creates a spaciousness in my mind in my consciousness that allows the light of discernment the light of uh intuition and the light of higher guidance you know to break through because otherwise if there's that wall of talk all the time and there's no <laughs> there's no space um it yeah. it can't arise and i think the more we meditate and for me i'll say this for me the more you know i meditate and i'm involved in that practice the the clearer the distinction is for me between you know when i'm really caught up in uh thought and caught up in the outer versus you know when i'm anchored in the inner so um when we get back from the break let's talk a little bit more about um, how people can overcome obstacles to meditation. I think we all have those questions. You're listening to the (laughs) Yoga Hour with a special guest today, Reverend Edward Volyun, and he's the author of this beautiful book, The Power of Meditation, an Ancient Technique to Access Your Inner Power. And you can find out more about his books and his teaching schedule at the website CSL. SR.org. That's CSLSR.org. And we'll be right back with you. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Someone once said there are two ways to get to the top of an oak tree. Climb the tree or plant an acorn and wait. If we expect changes to happen in our lives, we may want to consider climbing. Plus, changes needn't be monumental. Sometimes it's as easy as an attitude shift. Life is what we bring to it. Do you have a job that seems less than exciting? When you walk through the door, bring joy with you. Life looks better when viewed through a positive attitude. Are you facing a health challenge or surgery? Get rid of your fears by focusing instead on spirit working in and through you. When you remember that with God all things are possible, your outlook cannot help but change. Today, wherever you go, whatever you face, do so with joyous expectations. Release your inner splendor and allow the light and love of God to guide your way. This Mindful Moment is brought to you by Daily Word Magazine. Finding time for the positive reminders in Daily Word is easy with the digital edition, perfect for smartphones and readers on the go. Give it a test run with our 30-day free trial offer. 
Learn more at unityonlineradio.org slash dailyword. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today I'm having a delightful conversation with Reverend Edward Foyun, who is the Senior Minister at Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, California. And we've been drawing from his book on the power of meditation, talking about meditation. And just during the break, I was just getting ready to tell him that we're about to launch our annual 21-day transformation program at the center. Um, you can find out about it um, by visiting csecenter.org. It's our annual sit-a-thon. So you know how people do a run-a-thon and walk-a-thon. And um, this is uh, a commitment to sit for 21 days and to invite people to sponsor you to sit and so um mm. it's really a lovely program and uh, so just want to invite all of our listeners to uh, take up this 21 day challenge um because sometimes meditation can be a challenge um really for newcomers and old timer timers alike i think um so edward tell us a little bit about what you've learned about obstacles in meditation and how to overcome them. That's a big topic. We could do yes. lots of lots about that, but pick one or two of your favorite obstacles and how you share with people to overcome them. Oh, you're right. There are so many. And I think the one of the most challenging is in the form of expectations that new students come to the practice and what they think about meditation, what it should be like, or the expectation of instant results. I remember a conversation with uh, someone. His doctor had recommended that he learn to meditate, and he had heard that I wrote this book, so he came to ask me some questions, but he didn't want to read the book. He said, can you just give me the five quick points of what meditation is so I can decide whether or not it's for me. And I thought, well, therein is the problem. That, exactly. that beautifully characterizes that stumbling block. You know, if it doesn't work for me today, it's probably not going to be any good. So I have to, the challenge of leading people through that beginning point where there there is a struggle possibly uh, of restlessness or um, I don't experience the deep serenity right away, and I might be disappointed. So adding to that, um, 
I think what many new students experience right from the start is the exact opposite of a quiet mind. They might become fidgety or agitated. Um, and so their first couple of sessions, even the first two weeks, just sitting through that can can be an obstacle. So I, I, I compare it to learning to play a musical instrument because uh, sometimes a person will be inspired by witnessing a, a master playing an instrument. Then they get their own instrument. Maybe it's a violin. But the very first sounds that come out are not very pleasant. And they might even ask their, their teacher, well, where is the music? And, and the teacher will likely say to them something like, the music is on the other side of this commitment to practice. And that's really one of the things that I get to guide people through, the willingness to sit through those beginning stages where it's not um, it's not yielding what you might have expected it to yield. And I have to keep them gently in the practice so that they can make that journey there. Mm-hmm. And I think um, having um, spiritual teachings, having a philosophy, having a framework um, is is really important um, so that you can set some... Uh, you know, right expectations in a sense, some some spaciousness around the practice, but also understand the nature of the mind, the nature of our essence of being. You know, sometimes I find, you know, people don't know what to look for. And, um, yes. you know, in a sense, it's just the experience of being is there all the time and it's so subtle um, either people can miss it or they experience it and they're not sure that that's it you know is that it right exactly right <laughs> and so um, you know we can really only point to it we can't exactly put it into words but um, to help people understand it with a capital I as an experience, I think is is so um, helpful. And and you have a good section in your book about you know uh, overcoming obstacles. And I think you know one of the things that you that you put forth that I find really important and is actually part of the teachings of yoga, which is to Experiment. Mm. Yes. Experiment. You know, make meditation your experiment. Now, it's not, it's not advised to, you know, like sit down every day and try a new thing because, right. um, that, that, that's contrary to the steadiness that you're looking for, but, um, to allow yourself to try new things, um, to be curious about your experience, you know, these are all parts of um, the quality of flexibility and receptivity um, that are important to meditation. You know, just to be rote, uh, sitting with a technique that feels dull and is, you know, in a sense unproductive is not really recommended. And I think that becomes an obstacle for people. They kind of get stuck in one thing they think is supposed right. to do it. And, you know, it's a balance, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, you yeah. want to be steady long enough to give something an opportunity to bloom. 
but uh, yeah. you don't want to uh, just create another scenario in your life where you're stuck with something that doesn't work. <laughs> Right. And when you do try out new methods, I think giving each one an opportunity to be experienced is really more than one day. It's giving (laughs) it a chance. (laughs) So when we we teach our, we have a 10-week course and then we have 10 different methods, but we have a whole week with that, with each method. So at the end of the course, you've, you've, journeyed through 10 different methods, but each one for a whole week, and we evaluate them as we go along, you know, because sometimes the ones that um, I struggle with the most may have some, there may be something in that for me to stay with beyond a week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just important, I think, to know that, of course, it's not really any magic of the technique but it is the quality of of love presence curiosity i was thinking yesterday you know meditation is really a profound curiosity you can just be consciously curious about our own experience that in itself is a very um powerful technique. And when we look at, um, of course, Bhagavad Gita and Yoga Sutra say the same thing in terms of how you enter into this chamber of meditation, how you allow the mind to settle. You know, first, a steady practice, which we've been talking about. The other um, piece that is recommended besides steady practice is uh, detachment or non-attachment. Yes. And you do spend some good time writing about that. So will you talk to us a little bit about the value of detachment or non-attachment and how you see it? What it, what does it really mean? Yeah. Uh, yes, I'd love to talk about that. And you, But you said something so beautiful. Just want to reference that, that the experience or the quality of being is always there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and meditation is how we unlayer all the stuff that's covering that up and the curiosity of what is that experience of being is so delightful mm-hmm. but you're right detachment is such an important topic mm-hmm. and to me detachment i think is what happens when i set i set down um unreasonable outcomes that sometimes people will go into meditation to get something like enlightenment or realization. They don't have the gentle curiosity you were talking about, but they've got a goal. <laughs> and so I was, I was I, laughing I say, because I was laughing, excuse me, I was laughing because in my course, one of the things I say at the top, well, you're, there's no way you can get any more spiritual than you already are in this course. Right. And I can see a visible kind of disappointment on the faces that I'm looking at. Like, well, what am I doing here on Tuesday night if I'm gonna, yes. not going to get enlightened or spiritual? So, yeah, excuse, right. <laughs> excuse me. So, please continue. Well, that's, you know, those are, those are called, um, unreasonable expectations and when I use the word unreasonable I mean that's when I I, assi- I assign a power to something like a course or a meditation that it's not capable of producing 
you know, so instead of letting the practice be the practice and then have the curiosity of what will it produce in me? So I have to hold the practice lightly. And I think detachment is what happens when I realize that about the world, that things and people and events and, and practices even can only deliver what is consistent with their nature. And so that's... um and detachment is not being uncaring about my practice. I still, it's not being disconnected from life or unfeeling. I think it's a more honest relationship with life and with my practice. And it's characterized by the gentle, agreeable noticing of the world and of the inner world and welcoming it as it is. Yeah, and just as you say that, I, I kind of had a nice out-breath, and it's just, you know, holding things a little more lightly, um, you know, not in, in order to, you know, there is this just, <laughs> there's no separation between our meditation practice and the way that we live throughout the rest of the day, you know, when we're not sitting meditating, right? And so yeah. this detachment or non-attachment is really the practice that keeps us meditating throughout the day. So, yeah. you know, what I see is it's the way that we carry that um, meditative quality, that meditative intention into our day. So when I get um, tensed up, <laughs> when I get <laughs> frustrated, you know, I can tell it's because I am attached to something, you know, that I want <laughs> to go a certain way. I'm not pleased with how other people are acting. I, you know, I, if things are um, not the way I want them to be and so on and so forth. And that stress that I'm producing in myself and um, probably freely sharing with others in that moment um, is, is, yeah. coming, is coming out of, attachment, um, yes. which does not allow, um, you know, inner wisdom to arise because it's a narrow state of consciousness. So, yes. yeah, I see that detachment as the way we basically meditate all the rest of our day. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, the, the, I, it's not a new idea that attachment and suffering are connected to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think in our society, there are many messages that encourage attachment. They, they equate happiness and meaning and worth and power to attachment to things or owning this or experiencing that or having that. And you, you mentioned Ernest Holmes, and I'm just thinking right now of a, something very poignant he said about the importance of detachment. He asks us the question, what he says, what would be your reaction and mine if we knew that the only thing we could take with us when we leave this world would be that which we really are? And I hold that close to me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> and of course, not only is it the only thing we take with us, it's the only real thing, if we can call it a thing, exactly. that that we offer 
to others in any given moment. So, you know, what we're always sharing is our consciousness, you know, our state of mind, our spiritual condition. That's what's transmitted, you know, regardless of what we're achieving or not achieving. Um, what we're sharing uh, with each other is our consciousness because we're all profoundly connected at that level. So, yes. you know, that that for me you know, connects into why I believe uh, meditation is so important, not just in our individual lives so we can feel better and be more spiritually awake, but for our communal life and really our global life. Um, Do you feel that way too? Oh, I, I think so, because the more you and I are our real self, the less possible it is for us to hate each other. (laughs) You know, once you, I think once a person opens that window or the doorway that uh, meditation opens, it's very difficult to close it. Because once I think a person witnesses that quietness and they become acquainted with, uh, let's say, the truth of their being, it's it's a life-changing event, and then we become different in the world. Um, I, you know, it's, it's an inside job, someone humorously said, but such a true statement. From that inside comes all of my outer action. So if my inside is covered up with noisiness and static, I can see why I would be frantic and at war with the world. But regularly tapping in to that quiet space, it alters the way I interact with the world on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel that. And we have some programs where we're taking meditation techniques into the schools and uh, into prisons, um, places where, and I, I mean, I, I'm always so shocked when I hear that come out of my mouth that, you know, we have schools and prisons in the same <laughs> um, <laughs> place of stress, you know, but that's really the truth right. of what's happening in many classrooms today. And um, so I'm so heartened by these teachers who are picking up on the value of students learning how to sit for five minutes and breathe and um it it's 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 really changing the school climate um it's changing the climate uh you know even in people who are incarcerated or coming out of prison and trying to find their way back into um society so i i'm I'm kind of a, a missionary for meditation. <laughs> I feel it's really, um, you know, something we should not keep to ourselves, that we should do our best, you know, to make it available. Yeah. And, and certainly you're doing that and you've been doing it for a long time. So, you know, how do you, how do you advise people to um, get started on setting up a regular practice? Well, I I invite them to make a, an appointment with themselves that they agree to not break. But I give them the spaciousness to depart from doing anything in particular or having any goal. So I suggest that they pick a time at the same time every day to sit. And 
Of course, usually this introduction comes to them in a class setting, so I have the opportunity to sit with them in a class. And we'll do something very accessible. Um, We'll take a mental tour of their body, like taking inventory. Think of their left leg, just notice it. Think of their right leg, just notice it. Just paying some attention to the existence of their body has a surprising effect on them. They begin to soften in their thinking. And because they were liberated from any goal of stilling their thoughts or quieting their mind, they barely notice that their mind became quiet anyway. Mm. And then I say to them, look at what's happened to you, because typically what happens with that review is the classroom space becomes deeply quiet Mm -hmm. and because they weren't trying to get rid of their thoughts that's almost like I tricked them Mm -hmm. (laughs) into sitting quietly Mm -hmm. and so we talk about using that methodology on their own take an inventory and once you've done that and you lose interest in doing that then just sit for a moment and that's the beginning for people who are really new to meditation and they find it uh, yields beautiful results with very little investment. Mm, that's a beautiful way to support people in beginning. I can just feel that, you know, as you're talking about it. And, um, you know, it reminds me that, you know, when, when I'm teaching and I say, and I don't think it's necessarily because... Um, People have already meditated because many people are totally new to meditation. But when I say, okay, we're going to have a moment of meditation, what happens is everybody starts moving into place. And you know what I mean is there's a, and you know what I mean, because I can tell you're laughing. So it's like the the mind and body already know how to do this. So I don't even give any instruction. And all of a sudden the room starts getting ready for meditation. And all I've done is say, okay, you know, we're going to do a little moment of meditation or something. And then there's this shift that begins to occur by itself. And what I suspect about that is that, you know, meditation as we teach it, and I believe it's true for you also, is a, is a natural state of consciousness. You know, we're not trying to yeah. produce anything. We're not trying to go anywhere. We're just trying to, you know, sit long enough and conscious enough to you know, let that clarity be revealed by itself. So, you know, we teach that meditation is normal, it's natural, and everybody has already experienced it. And, in fact, everybody already knows how to meditate in that sense. So... I find that little clue in the group when people just kind of go for it. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I often tell them that it's very natural and it feels remarkably similar to thinking, <laughs> but with a different character. And I encourage them to think of whatever they do to get their body in the right position and whatever they do to come out of meditation as all part of meditation. So to even think of the the entry, that's the beginning, then the sitting is the middle, and then the coming out. And so, you know, they may be sitting for two minutes, but whatever they do to settle down, can I do it more mindfully, a little, with a little bit of attention, mm-hmm. even if it means making the space that I'm going to sit in, turn it into a ritual. Mm-hmm. And then they see, oh, this is, this is really normal. It's mm-hmm. accessible and normal. And helping people 
slow down and experience what they're experiencing, whether it's the breath. I loved the exercise in your book where you talked about the experience of closing your eyes. You know, we, we say we're going to, exactly. okay, we're going to close our eyes for meditation. And so would you describe that exercise? Because it's so beautiful, really lovely. Yes, we use that frequently. I, I begin by explaining to people um, that we're going to meditate and they do exactly what you say. And sometimes that includes shutting their eyes rather rapidly. And then I ask them to observe how did they close their eyes. Because you have many ways to close an eye. You can shut it. And even the word shut has got a little bit of strong feeling mm-hmm. to it. Or you can you can use this as part of the preparation where you let your eyelids be drawn to one another. And I use the image of um, sitting up too late to watch a movie. And you it's very interesting, but you're tired, so tired that you can barely keep your eyelids open. And that's the feeling of letting the eyes close towards each other, the lids draw towards each other, to the point where there's almost a sliver of light still coming through. Mm-hmm. And as I talk people through that, you can see the softness on their face starts to spread versus if they just shut their eyes. Because mm-hmm. if I just shut my eyes, then I have to Now I have to invoke relaxation, whereas if I let my eyes close, the relaxation comes because of the gentle activity. Yes, it's so beautiful. And of course, I'm... you know, you, you have to read the book first and then try it, you know, because you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't you know, read along with the activity of shutting your eyes or closing your eyes. Yeah. But um, I want to say it was just such a lovely experience and I had never thought of it. And just um, the feeling that that comes with consciously observing what it's like to just gently let your eyes close and even um, the feeling of your eyelashes touching each other. You know, this was very exciting to me. (laughs) This is, wow, you know. Right? That's going on, you know, when I do that. But it's just like slowing it way down, you know. It's like what we do also with the breath, right? You know, you feel the, the temperature of the breath as it comes in the nostrils and touches the back of your throat. Yes. So any of these things that we do that help us to just bring our attention uh, gently uh, in into what is actually occurring and slowing down enough to experience being. And, you know, I think and a lot has been written about, you know, how we've become human doings and, you know, yes. so much human beings. And um, I think that's a great challenge uh, that we all face. And, you know, one of the challenges as a meditator is to not have your meditation become another doing. <laughs> yes, yes. So, exactly. what is what is your advice for people who've had a long time practice and perhaps their their practice has become kind of dull and it's just something they're doing, but they're not very. There's no heart in it. You know, that can happen. Can become dry. Yeah, this this uh, happens frequently and. W- uh, sometimes long-time meditators are surprised when I recommend that they take a break, that they give themselves a break, 
or if that is too scary for them because they may have really benefited from meditation and they don't want to stop it at all, I suggest that they keep the appointment for the meditation time, but instead of sitting for, say, a week, they replace the time with reading, inspiring spiritual reading. Just something to mix it up a little bit. The other thing that is very helpful is to try out meditation groups in your area because something happens when people sit together at the same place at the same time that is not easy to duplicate by myself. Um, So when people are sitting alone and they are hitting a dry spell, I encourage them to try it together. And if they can't find a group, if there isn't a group in the area, then I encourage them to try it with at least another person, a friend, because this seems to uh, stimulate that newness, that feeling of newness. And, you know, when you were talking earlier, I I thought to me, you know what a great title for a book on meditation would be, <laughs> something you said, what is actually occurring? That's, that's really what meditation is about. It's beautiful. What's actually happening? I'm chuckling, Edward, because I think that's what happens in a conversation when two writers get together. They start, <laughs> they start thinking up new books. And uh, so, yeah. And that's one of the challenges if you're a creative person if you're a writer you you have to um allow those creative inspirations to just pass on by when you're sitting to meditate and know that they'll come back um and uh but you know i want to go back um just for a moment to this kind of what can happen when you have a, a dry spell when you're a long time meditator because what happened to me was for some reason it caught me completely off guard you know i had no idea that that happened i mean it's there in the literature but somehow i didn't expect it and so um and i didn't know how to deal with it and so i just blamed my teacher <laughs> yes you know, I just I had to blame somebody. You know, like well, I'm having this yes. dry spell, and my meditation's not working. It, it, you know, must have been something wrong with how I was taught, or you know, I mean, I was just kind of crazed behind it. But I, yes. luckily, I came through it, and his advice was was beautiful and helped me. Um, but what? I discovered, and I think is so critical that we tell people is that it's normal, <laughs> and it and not only right. is it normal, it's important um, because what I discovered is that those dry spells are um, kind of like the uh, maybe we could call it like an antidote to your practice becoming rote or or to the idea that that you are more enlightened than you really are, and so. Um, those, yeah. those dry spells are really a way in which we can go deeper. So I, I want to stand up for them and say, it's not a problem. It's actually a very profound opportunity, a very important opportunity. Yeah, besides, it matches life. All of life is like that. Relationships go through difficult spots or dry spells. Even people who are masters at playing an instrument, uh, they find one day they wake up and that instrument, which was part of their body before, feels like an alien object, and they have to work through it. And Diane Edelman, uh, who wrote a beautiful book about prayer, gave some advice for people who hit those dry spells, and she said, don't let them scare you. 
they're worth everything to work through them because as we advance through, let's say, meditation in this case, and you're developing that more mature relationship with yourself, there's going to be these growing pains. Mm -hmm. And she says, uh, and there's a lovely line in her book, if I can remember it, um, she says these dry spells um, are opportunities, not death sentences. Mm-hmm. And I've, I really, I took courage from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's exactly it. That's what I, I learned, that in really it's an invitation to go deeper. And um, I just want to say we're coming to the conclusion of our time together. And, and I want to say as we talk about dry spells and what it takes, you know, to uh, remain steady on the path, I want to uh, remind our listeners that um, uh, Reverend Volyun's book, uh, The Power of Meditation, uh, a book like that is a way to help you through a dry spell. Uh, or to help you if you're just getting started because it's packed with inspiration and practical information. So um, thank you so much, Edward, for this conversation this morning. I've, I've enjoyed you. it uh, tremendously. And uh, remind listeners to um, visit your website at the Center for Spiritual Living uh, in Santa Rosa. The website is cslsr.org. Org, And uh, remember to take up the 21-day challenge for meditation with the Sitathon. And if you're listening uh, in live time here in October of 2016, you can go to csecenter.org and find out about it. And um, next week, um, we're going to be drawing some wisdom from Vedanta, from the Upanishads, a conversation, Awaken the World, Self-Realization and Fulfillment. Living, I look forward to being with you then. The Yoga Hour is a SEVA project, a service project of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose. And I want to offer uh, my pranams, my gratitude to our Yoga Hour team, producer and regular guest host, Dr. Laura Trujillo, assistant producers, Nita Kenyon and Ann Hayes, and Jeff Comfort, who is our steadiness in the sound booth there at Unity Online Radio. Again, um, Edward, thank you so very much. It's been an absolute joy to be with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all of our listeners. I look forward to being with you again. Remember to let your inner light shine into the world and share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org.
Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention, in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Kincannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression. The more we learn about life, the more we realize life never stands still. Life is in a constant state of growth and change. In our individual lives, we may resent change or even resist it. We often forget that our resistance doesn't stop life from changing. Our resistance keeps us locked into a negative mindset and blocks our acceptance and enjoyment of life's constant diversity and variety. Learn to recognize change as a stepping stone to greater growth and good. Meet life's changing conditions with courage and optimism. Changing your thoughts helps you change your actions and can result in positive changes in you and the world around you. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 